Good morning. Today's Old Testament uh, Bible reading this morning is Exodus 19, verses 5 through 9, on page 116 of your Pew Bibles. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of you nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words that the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together, We will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, I am going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their faith in you. Then Moses told the Lord what the people had said. The New Testament reading is Matthew 5, chapter 43. Through 48, page 1503 of your Pew Bibles. You have heard it said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of the Father of in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Not even the ta- or, are not even the tax collectors doing that? And in your if and if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore as your heavenly Father is perfect. The word of God for the people of God. Before we move into the sermon today, I just want to share with you, maybe some of you saw this update on Facebook. Nine, nine of our church members left on Thursday for a pilgrimage through the Holy Land. And so I woke up yesterday morning and saw the saw the news and immediately thought of them and reached right out to them. And as minutes went by and I didn't hear from them, I was assuming the worst. And then I did hear from uh, Jim Cruzy, and thankfully they were still in a ship outside of Cyprus and had not yet gone over into uh, Israel. Last night, according to their schedule, they should have landed in, I think, Haifa in the northern section of um, of Israel. So now, obviously, their trip has changed significantly. They're going to be in Cyprus uh, and then go down to Cairo, but they'll be avoiding Israel entirely. Um, but continue to pray for them and, of course, pray for the situation unfolding and pray for, uh, for peace and justice, God's justice to prevail. Would you join me in prayer this morning? Lord, open our ears, open our eyes. Open our hearts. We confess 
with St. Peter that where else can we go? For you alone have the words of life. And Lord, we need some life today. So Lord, meet us where we are. But for your glory and for our good, don't leave us where you found us. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. just want to remind you that you have in your bulletin these little cards. We're going through this sermon series called the, the Wesleyan Way. And um, we're going through some of the, the core doctrines that define the people called Methodist. And as I said from the outset, it's not that other traditions don't believe these things. I don't think you'll find a, a Catholic or a Presbyterian who doesn't believe in grace. But Methodists, in our doctrinal formulations and then in the way we live out our faith, there are certain doctrinal foundations that really guide us and tell us who we are and how we should live as God's people in this world. And so we're in week five, and each week you've had an insert in your bulletin. I invite you to to write down questions. Um, comments, points that need further clarification. You can leave those in the box next to the video booth as you leave the sanctuary. And I'll be taking some time uh, in a video and audio format to go through your questions at the end of our uh, sermon series. Well, maybe it's the professor in me, but I like to go back and recap. Where we've gone, where we've been, the ground upon which we've trod over these last few weeks before we move into week five, our week for today. We had to start by looking at sin, the condition that besets all of us, that's deeper than just behavior, and it goes right to the heart. We have a fundamental orientation away from the things of God away from his goodness and his righteousness and his holiness and the original intent for which we were created, which we find in Genesis 1 and 2. Perfect, harmonious relationship with us and with God and with indeed all of creation. And yet sin comes in and fractures everything. And John Wesley understands that as a marring, a blurring of the image of God, which is stamped upon every human life. And yet sin blurs it, it distorts it. Something's not quite right. So we started by grappling with that and then moving on to grace. And Wesley understood God's grace working in lives even before one can respond to God. Convicting one to their need for God. Justifying them through the grace of God by what Christ has done for us on the cross. And then leading us into a life where we can grow in Holiness, which we looked at last week. Holiness. Holiness means to be set apart. We found that all through the Old Testament, there were people and places, indeed there were, very, there were things, buildings, worship um, tools that were consecrated, set apart, made holy for God's use. And we find that in the new covenant, through what Christ has done for us, we are what? We are the temple of God. We are set apart for his use. We have been made holy through what Christ has done for us. And again, all of this is a work of grace. The unmerited power of God through his spirit that comes into the life of a believer. So today, we're going to look at 
Something called entire sanctification or Christian perfection or perfect love. John Wesley, the principal founder of the Methodist movement, used all sorts of terms interchangeably for this doctrine. And you can see on the screen, uh, sorry, I picked a photo for this week that's a little blurry. I don't know if you can read what it says under entire sanctification. It says Wesley's grand depositum which is what he called this doctrine. John Wesley believed that God raised up these people called Methodists in the early and middle part of the 18th century to promulgate primarily this doctrine of entire sanctification. Remember, if you will with me for a moment, the context in which John and Charles Wesley, his brother, that great hymn writer, the context in which they operated. They sought to bring renewal and reform to the Church of England because they believed it had become kind of a dead religion. It had the right forms. It had good liturgy. People went through the right motions. But uh, to to use one of John Wesley's terms, there was no heart religion. There were no lives radically and deeply changed by the transforming love of God. And so they sought to bring those two things together. Good outward form of religion, but most importantly, infused with, powered by, motivated by the transforming work of the grace of God. And so as Methodism began as a renewal movement and then eventually became its own denomination and started to ordain its own clergy and establish its own churches, Wesley believed that this was the reason This idea of entire sanctification, of perfect love, of why God had raised up the Methodist movement. Well, what does this mean? I'm going to give you John Wesley's definition. Loving God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. This implies that no wrong temper, nothing contrary to love remains in the soul, and that all the thoughts, words, and actions are governed by pure love. Does this mean that we'll never sin, that we'll never make mistakes, that we'll never fail? No, not at all. And in fact, if you dive deeply into the history of the Methodist movement, eventually there were some who believed that, who kind of spun off from the original Methodist movement, who believed that one could be sinlessly perfect. But that is a distortion, a misunderstanding of what John Wesley taught. He believed that people could continue to sin, they would continue to make mistakes, but through the transforming grace of God, a work could be wrought in the heart of an individual that changes our entire perception and outlook on life, that is so infused with the love of God so that when sin does come up, when temptation rears its head, we will be so in tune with the love and the grace of God that immediately we will reject it, that we will root it out, that we will realize its deleterious effects upon us and want to live our lives differently. Here's another thing that John Wesley said about this. Christian perfection does not imply an exemption either from ignorance or mistake or infirmities or temptation. Indeed, it is only another term for holiness. 
Everyone that is perfect is holy, and everyone that is holy is, in the scriptural sense, perfect. There is no perfection of degrees, so that how much soever any man hath attained, he hath still need to grow in grace, and daily to advance in the knowledge and the love of God his Savior. In other words, there is always more. There is always more to learn. There, there is always growth that must happen in the life of an individual. We never attain. We never get there fully and perfectly. And yet here is one of the gifts of the Methodist movement. Was that just when someone comes to Christ and is justified, that does not mean that then, then they're done. That's it. You just sit around twiddling your thumbs waiting for heaven. Wesley rejected that entirely. He's, in fact, he called that useless religion. He believed that one is, when one is justified, God can then start to do a work in you now, here on earth, that can change you and can start to change people around you. Wesley also believed that when there's a promise in Scripture, like we find what Bob read for us in Matthew 5, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. John Wesley said that God is not going to give us a command in Scripture that He will then not give us the grace to fulfill. So when we have this command to be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect, or last week looking at 1 Peter, where Peter exhorted his people to be holy as God is holy, that if we're told to do something, God will give us the grace to do it. Because after all, it is Him working through us anyway. It is nothing that we do of our own strength. I think it's helpful for us to understand this in the context in which we find Matthew 5, that reading that Bob gave for us. It's in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5 through 7, perhaps some of Jesus' best known teachings in all of Scripture. And in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, in this Sermon on the Mount, we find Jesus do something over and over again. He'll speak to the people and he'll say to them, you have heard it said. And he quotes the Torah, quotes the Old Testament. And then he says, and I say to you. And he takes it up a notch. And this got him in so much trouble. You know why? Because who in the world could alter the words of the Torah except God himself? And that's the point. This is God in the flesh. And so he'll say to them, you've heard it said, do not commit murder. And then he'll say, but I say to you, if you have in your heart against a brother or sister. He'll say to them, you've heard it said in the Torah, in the law, that you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you, if you even look at a woman, another person, with lust in your heart, you've already done it. He says, you've heard it said to love your enemies or... And then he goes on and he, oh, what he does is he adds to it. And what does he do? He cuts beneath the exterior behaviors and goes right to the heart. And what is he telling us? That all of these things, adultery, murder, hatred, jealousy, envy, all of those sinful actions that disrupt our relationships with God and one another, where do they come from? They start right here. And sometimes they fester a while. Sometimes it happens pretty quickly. 
But it's something that happens in the heart, which then manifests in external behaviors, in fractured and broken relationships, in words that were spoken in haste that hurt another person, in violent actions as we see in the world around us today, in distrust, in anger. All of that comes from a human heart. That John Wesley said, through the grace of God, can become so perfectly aligned with the love of God that what happens? Our hearts start to change. We start to see others the way that God sees them. We start to be moved by compassion and empathy for the hurting people around us. And instead of saying to them, why don't you just help yourself, you lazy bum? We start to look at them and say, this is another human being for whom Jesus died and that God loves. And how can I bring the light of Christ into their life? Instead of responding in anger to something somebody says, our hearts can be so changed by the love of God that loved us when we were still unlovable. That when someone says something to us, we respond not out of anger, but out of love and care for them. Because they are a person that God loves just as much as he loves us. When we start to realize that we will never, never look at another person, we will never see an individual around us whom God does not love as much as God loves us. And when we let that sink in and when we let that truth change us and transform us, we can start to be perfected in that love of God that shapes and changes even the most hardened heart into one that is so aligned with the love and the grace of God that it changes everything that we do. Friends, in our world today, my, 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 we need people who are shaped and perfected by the love of God. The early Methodists believed it. They believed that to, use, to quote the words of a Methodist hymn writer, that God's grace could save us to the uttermost. All parts of our lives. Even those parts that we keep hidden from other people and that we hope nobody ever sees. Even that, God can redeem and change and make new and restore. All parts of us, everything about us, God wants to shape by His holy love so that we can most perfectly love him and love people around us. You know, for better or worse, I've said it before, I'll say it again. God has chosen to use you and me to bring the light and the goodness of his love into the world around us. And sometimes I look at myself and I think, God, you could have had a better plan than this. Fragile, frail, feeble human beings. The church gathered together. Do we mess up? Yes. Do we treat each other poorly sometimes? Yes. Do we say and do things that we wish we could take back? Absolutely. All of us do. Sometimes more than we care to admit. But friends, the good news of the gospel and the grand depositum of Methodism is that the way things are are not the way things have to be. 
that the grace of God can touch the life of an individual and overwhelm them with an overflowing abundance of His love, then everything starts to shift and change. Friends, in a world divided by hatred and violence, in a country that is so often divided into us versus them, oh, we need people who are perfected in the love of God. We need people who see beyond labels, who see beyond divisions, who see beyond parties, and see human beings that Jesus Christ died for and that are unbelievably precious to Him. We need to be changed and transformed and softened by that. Oh, doesn't that creep into the church too? Our hearts get hardened by people who claim the name of Jesus. And yet we go out of this building and we go back to our lives and so often we don't live any differently. We engage in the same things that the world around us engages in. John Wesley said that he didn't believe that Methodism would ever cease to exist as a movement. But he said if we lost sight of this, we would end up being a cold, dead sect that had a form of religion but didn't have any power at all. The love of God transforming and changing an individual's life and indeed changing a whole community gathered together to do his work in this world is not some pie-in-the-sky dream. It's not something that Jesus dangled over his disciples and said, hey, maybe, maybe you can have this, maybe you can be like this. No, we have the grace to do it. It's given to us. And indeed, to be perfect as the Heavenly Father is perfect is God's will for us. And friends, as we surrender, as we let go, as we pray for God's Spirit to work in and through us, and when we invite that to happen, friends, be ready. Be ready. God wants people who are willing and surrendered. God is not going to force the will of any one of us. God wants people who freely say, here I am. I am yours. I give you my heart. Mold me and make me after your perfect will so that I may be changed by your love. Is that your prayer this morning? May it be so. Amen.